We're in James chapter 5, 13 through 20. Help for the hurting. Help for the hurting. Who doesn't need help for the hurting? Please stand for the reading of the word of God. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Guess what? This is our last teaching in the book of James. The theme, the theme of James is genuine faith produces genuine works. For the last time, it's your turn. Genuine faith produces genuine works. And in James chapter 2, verse 26, it has been our theme verse. Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. Now, last week, we talked about being patient brethren. What we learned from last week is that patience is not natural. It's supernatural. Patience comes in and is developed by our time with God, by our time with God, time with Jesus. Remember, Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I remain in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Remember, he is the vine. He is the power source. And we are, we are, we are fitted in to the vine as branches. We are, we are fitted in, and that's where we get our power from. And when we are fitted into the brine and we dwell in him, then we can actually develop patience because one of the fruit of the Spirit is patience. Patience. Okay. So remember we said this. Uh, a natural overflow of time with Jesus is a diminishment of the effects of the world, the flesh, and the devil on your thinking and on your behavior. There are no shortcuts. You must spend time with God to change. There are no shortcuts. God's expectation for each one of us, he expects each believer to be patient in suffering. Isn't that something? Patient in hardship, patient in troubles. And he also gave a caution in verse 9 not to grumble, not to get develop a root of bitterness in the suffering. Because oftentimes when people suffer, they get mad at God, or they get mad at people, they get mad at who knows what. And we don't want to go down that road. We do not want to develop a root of bitterness. We want to have an attitude of this. I will trust in the Lord until I die. I will trust in the Lord until I die. And in Hebrews chapter 13, 5, he promises us this. I will never, I will never leave you nor forsake you, ever. He will always be with us. When life throws you a curveball, he will be with you. When life throws you something that causes you to stumble and fall and become very discouraged, remember, he is with you. He will never, ever, ever leave you nor forsake you. We are to be patient brethren. God is with us through it all. It's not natural for the peace of God to exist in the midst of the storm. And I will say it's supernatural. It's an act of God in your life. When you have peace through the storms of life, it is supernatural. It is God working in you. Be patient brethren. Now this week, James closes his epistle with help for the hurting. Help for the hurting. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. Lord, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you that you have given us information of how to live on this side, and we thank you that you've instructed us that when we are sick, what process we are to go through. Thank you for your word today. Holy Spirit, please teach us things that we do not know, and as always, what we learn, help us to apply. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as you know, and as we have said in the past, life can change on a dime. It can change in a click. I mean, you can be at the mountaintop one minute and everything's going great, and you just finished your college degree, or you just made the team, or you just did whatever exuberant thing that you wanted to accomplish in life, and something happens and it changes. From pinnacle to pit, it can happen so quickly. Well, Chuck Swindoll shares this about Johnny Erickson Tata. He, and this is a quote. He says, Splash, Johnny Erickson 
Tata dove into the Chesapeake Bay, a strong, athletic girl. A split second later, she was paralyzed from the neck down, completely helpless and still underwater. Though rescued from drowning by her sister, the doctors could not rescue Johnny from the paralysis that swept over her body. Medically, Johnny came to accept the fact that she couldn't be healed. But what about God? Didn't God heal all kinds of paralysis and sickness? The more Johnny thought and prayed about these things, the more she became convinced that God would heal her too. And she prayed, and she prayed, and she prayed, and she gathered people around her. And Bruce Barton, in his book, Health and Wealth Gospel, says this. She brought together a group of friends and church leaders and set up a private healing service. The week before that service, she publicly confessed her faith by telling people, watch for me standing on your doorstep soon. Did she have faith to believe? Yes, she did. I'm going to be healed. On the scheduled day, the group read scriptures, anointed her with oils, prayed in fervent faith, and today she's still a quadriplegic. She did everything right, seemed to have met all the conditions, and yet she was not healed. Now, why is that? Was Johnny denied the miracle because she didn't have enough faith? Well, we know that she did have faith. Some believe that. Others say she wasn't healed because she has unconfessed sin in her life. Remember Job's friends, the reason you're going through this You have unconfessed sin, Job. You have unconfessed sin. Others would quibble about her way of healing technique. The healing would have come, she followed this three-step process or whatever the process is that people think about. And today, thousands of people throughout the country have testimonies that they've been healed. Some people even think that healing cloths have been anointed for healing. You send your money in, get your cloth, and get your healing. Are these things real? Now, let me ask you this question. Let me just make this statement. In June, June 22nd, 2014, we went to Maranatha. And at Maranatha, Johnny Erickson Tata was there, or was there. And she was there for two weeks for the, a disability, a respite care uh, for people that, that took care of disabled folks. So you had all these people that were there. And she made this statement, which I thought was really interesting. You know, why does this thing happen to you, Johnny? Why does it happen to all these people that are here, all these disabled people and their caregivers? Why does this happen? She said, God allows the things that he hates to accomplish the things he loves. He transforms people through pain and suffering. That was her word. That was her word to the people. The question for us today, does God heal today? If so, what process do we follow? Now, when we think about healing and sickness, I want you to, please, there's no question about this next statement. There might be questions about what you believe about healing and different people in here believe about healing and that sort of thing, but there's no question about this statement, okay? Sin brought sickness and death into the human existence. That's where it emanated from. Every sickness that you see, every multiple sclerosis, Every Lou Gehrig's disease, every stroke, every Alzheimer's, every common cold, which doesn't sound like a big deal to you, get it, okay? All of that is because of the sin curse and and resulting in death. Sin entered the world and death, disease, and suffering followed. Now, Adam was told, he was told, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For the day that you eat of it, Adam, you will die. And what did he do? He just well, he listened to his wife, and he ate of, the, ate of the fruit. That was the one time where you shouldn't listen to your wife. <laughs> he ate and brought sin and destruction, and the effects have been for all of earthdom until we get out of here. Sometimes individual sickness is from sin, and sometimes it is not. Now, with this stated, you must realize that the Jewish people would always look, just like in Job, that sin would be causative for their illness. And Jesus was presented this question. What was the cause of this blindness? And in John 9, 23, he makes this statement. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. It was for God's glory. It was for God's glory. Now, something that we must all realize regarding healing. 
Now, this, is, this may be controversial to you, but I believe that it is true, and I think I can prove it. It is not God's will that everyone be healed here. Okay, you realize that. Now, there are some people that would say, no, the, the atonement has guaranteed our healing. And we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 53. Actually, you can turn there right now because I'll be there in just a few minutes to show you what people believe on this. So it's not God's will for everyone to be healed here. Paul had the gift of healing. We see that in Acts chapter 20, verse 7 through 12, and 28, 7 through 9. Yet he left Trophimus sick in Miletus in 2 Timothy 4.20. Epaphroditus almost died, somebody that was very close to Paul in Philippians 2.25. Timothy had stomach ailments in 1 Timothy 5.23, and Paul told him to take some wine, which was medicinal, for your, inf- for your many infirmities, for your stomach's sake and many infirmities. And then Paul himself had a thorn in the flesh. Nobody knows exactly what that was. Some people think it was an illness. Some people think it was his, blind, his eyes or whatever. But it was something that was discomforting to him. And he prayed three times, and God said, My grace is sufficient for you in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Now, typically, those who claim that God will heal everyone will base this on Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 and 5. So let's go through this right quick. Surely he has borne our griefs. Now that word griefs means maladies, anxieties, sickness, and disease. That, that word means that. He has, he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows or our pains. We have esteemed him stricken, and notice, smitten by God and afflicted. That's the cross. That's Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. He was wounded for our transgressions, for our sins. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, for our perversions, for evil. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes you were healed. You were made whole. And people will take hold of that and say the atonement has provided healing, and all of us can be healed. That is God's desire for everyone to be healed. Now, the problem with this is, is that Peter has given some clarification on what this means. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, we hear this word. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. So what did he bear on the cross? Our sins. How many sins did Jesus take on the cross? All of our sins, so that we might die to sin. This is spiritual. And lived to righteousness. For, for by his wounds you were healed. He's talking about sin. He's talking about sin that Jesus took on the cross. That is the, that is the context here. So the health and wealth people insist that there is guaranteed healing, physical, emotional, and spiritual, in the atonement. But yet, if that were true, then why do people die? Because Jesus came, and if he did everything to counter the work of the devil, then why are we still dying? Well, because sin came into the world, and death through sin, and people still get sick, and people still die. That's just the truth of it. So the health and wealth people that believe the guaranteed physical, emotion, spiritual healing in the atonement are many, and some of these are very bright people. Michael Brown, uh, Andrew Womack, Kenneth Copeland, Joyce Meyer, these are all word faith people. Now, let me give you a couple of quotes, what they have to say on this subject. Joyce Meyer, in her, in her book, Be Healed in the Name of Jesus, says that we get, are given the assurance in God's word that he is the healer and he will heal everyone. He will heal everyone. Or Roberts, is, who was the pioneer, one of the pioneers of this whole thing, said that suffering and disease and sickness are of the devil and that Everyone can be healed if you believe. In the believer's voice of victory, Kenneth Copeland and his wife Gloria wrote an article that says you never have to wonder again about sickness and disease. That is not the will of God for you to have sickness or disease. And then they say this, if you believe this is good news, I want you to do something right now. Stand up and, and, and use the magazine in your hand. Stand on your feet, and now I want you to say, sickness and disease and pain, I resist you. Watch all the eyes. I resist you in the name of Jesus. I enforce the word of God on you. I won't tolerate you in my life. Leave my presence. Now again, is this true? Is this true? Are we guaranteed healing? 
Well, look around. Look around. There are so many people that have believed by faith and trusted God, and that is our job. I want to emphasize that that is our job, but have not received healing on this time, on this side. And remember, part of the curse was death. That was the main thing, death. We still die. We still die. Now, we will have eternal, we do, we are eternal beings, and we will live forever with God because we believe that he's died in our place, that Jesus died in our place. But this healing is not guaranteed for now because people still die. People still die. Joyce Meyer, at age 47, got breast cancer. Now, I want you to hear this, how her tone changes. How her tone changes. She says this, a report like that comes with a lot of fear and wondering with what's going to happen. Whole different thought process here. She recalls, God brought me through it in an amazing way. He spoke to my heart. Now, I can get testimony. He spoke to my heart. Didn't speak to her ear. Didn't whisper, you're going to be healed. That sort of thing. Spoke to my heart. Now, Joyce is on a good track. At 3 a.m. one morning after a diagnosis, Joyce says she was tossing and turning with fear when the Lord whispered this, I'll take care of you. Now, I want to ask you, have you ever heard God speak that to your heart? I have had that happen to me. I will take care of you. And that happened to her. That happened to her. Once I let that sink in, she says, I knew it was a fact, even if I didn't know how the cancer was going to play out. Now, that's an honest response. She, she says, I've come to the point where I had two choices. I could go crazy or I could trust God. Really, what else is there? Now, I can give her kudos for that because that's real. There's too many things in life that we don't understand and things that don't seem to fair. So you can drive yourself crazy with why God, or you can just decide that he's smarter than you are and he knows more than you, and you just trust him through it all. Now, I'm telling you, that's a good word from Joyce Meyer. Don't read her book, just read her testimony, okay? That's all I can say on that one. Because that's a good testimony. That's, that's the truth. That's the truth. Now, I had a friend. I've shared this before. I will share this with you again. In 1973 or 74, Chris and I went to a Baptist church in, in Milan, Michigan. And there was a young lady that was there. Her name was Chris Whaley. And Chris Whaley was a wonderful 20-year-old, healthy Christian lady. And she got Lou Gehrig's disease. And her mother and father were into Kenneth Copeland and the word faith. And she, they told Chris if she had enough faith to believe, she would be healed. So Chris believed this. Mom and dad believed this. Chris deteriorated and Chris died. And her parents said that she didn't have enough faith. Tragic, tragic, lack of faith. Is everyone healed on this side? And I would say, not here, but yes, you will be healed. How do I know that? Revelation 21.4, no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, nor pain, nor pain. The, the former things have passed away, Revelation 21.4. What does the Bible say about healing here and now? Well, I think our text will help us today. Help. For the hurting. In verse 13, we start out with these words. Now, remember, the author is James, but the real author is the Holy Spirit. James is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he starts out in verse 13, when suffering, we are to pray. When cheerful, we are to sing. When suffering, we are to pray. When cheerful, we are to sing. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. So, suffering is this. It means in distress, hardship, trouble, from which there is no immediate relief. It's going on, and it's going on, and it's going on. It can mean mental anxiety that's created by this ongoing suffering that you're going through. Now, what is the treatment for this? The treatment for suffering is this. He's immediately... Immediately we are to do this, prayer. And notice it's my mouth to God's ear. I pray to him. Now what is prayer? Prayer is simply this. It's practicing the presence of God. 
It's practicing the presence of God. And it's ongoing. We are to be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will in Christ Jesus concerning you, it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.16. God must be central in our prayer. James does not promise immediate healing or relief. He simply says, pray. Now, why pray? I would suggest to you it's for this reason. We pray for endurance and strength. We pray for endurance and strength. I want to share something with you. The persecuted church in Iraq, in China, in many places in the world, you know what? They do not pray for relief. They pray that God will give them the strength to endure it, to endure it. So that's what I think we're looking at here. John 17, 15, Jesus gives us a little tip on this. He says this, he's praying for his disciples. He's going to be leaving, and he's praying for their protection. Watch what he says. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, Father. Don't take them out of the world. They need to stay here. But I do pray that you should keep them from the evil one. Now, what does that mean? Keep them from the discouragement and the despair and the hopelessness that the evil one wants to perpetrate on you when you're going through some sort of suffering. That's what I think he's talking about here. Now, the polar opposite of suffering is be cheerful. Be cheerful. There are seasons of joy. We are to express it in singing to the Lord. I would suggest to you it's not only seasons of joy. That when we are suffering and hurting, we can even then sing and praise to God and ask Him for the help. Even in the suffering and the hurting, sing psalms to the Lord. Ecclesiastes 3.4 says this, There's a time to weep and there's a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn and there's a time to dance. There's a time to just blast it out and say, Thank you, Lord, no matter what you're going through. He is with you. He is our refuge and strength. He is an ever-present help in times of trouble. He knows where you are. Trust Him. Trust Him through it all. In the good times, sing praises. In the bad times, sing praises. Enter into His presence joyfully with praise. Verse 14 through 16. Sickness and suffering and disappointments are part of life in a cursed earth. It is simply, that's the way it is here. Now, what, do, what to do when you are sick? What to do when you are sick? Now, this is for everybody. This isn't just for, for because everybody gets sick, okay? Everybody's going to experience this. So 14 through 16, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Now, notice who calls? The person that's sick calls for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And then he says these words, confess your trespasses to one another. That means get involved with one another. And pray for one another that you may be healed. And this great word, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So, so what is sick? What is sick? Well, the word is asthenio. Asthenio, like myasthenia gravis, weakness. It's a weakness that is profound. It means without strength, no strength, powerless, an extreme, hopeless situation. The sick person is to call the elder. It's their responsibility to let the elders know. Let the elders know. And notice that it is elders. It is not called the elder. It's not putting the emphasis on a person. It's putting it on a group. And who does the healing? It is not the elders. It is Jesus. He is the one that is central. He is the one that is central. So what is missing? Who are they not calling? Well, conspicuously missing from this is the faith healer. Is the faith healer. Now watch this. Where does the gifts of healings, and I want you to notice that it's plural, gifts of healings. This is one of the spiritual gifts. We see it in 1 Corinthians 12.9 and 1 Corinthians 12.28. What is a spiritual gift? Well, a spiritual gift is something that everyone gets at the time of salvation. This is one of those gifts that some people get, okay? They're divine enablements distributed by the Holy Spirit 
as he wills to build up or edify the body of Christ. That is the definition of what a spiritual gift is. Now, some believe this. Some believe that healing and miracles and these types of gifts have ceased. Have ceased, okay? They ended with the apostles. And let me share with you, there is no scriptural support for that position. There is none. You cannot find it. Now, I came from a Baptist background. I came from a cessationist background. When I did the study on this, I could not prove that these gifts had ceased. So I became weird to the Baptist. He's getting strange. He's getting, you know. But you could not. You, and as I've been a Christian long, longer time and studied this more in the, in, in the language, in the original language, there is nothing there to say that these gifts have ended. So what's going on here? Notice it's the gifts of healing, plural, plural. What might this mean? I think it means this. Now, please, when I say I think, that doesn't mean anything to you. You do the study, and you have your own think on this, okay? So I don't want to act like this is the word of the Lord saying for me. This is what I think. No one person has this gift all of the time, not even Paul. Remember Trophimus, Epaphroditus, that sort of thing. And, I, and that gifts of healings are given to various people. This is how I believe it works. The gifts of healing are given to various people according to God's sovereign will. No one person has a monopoly on healing. No one person has a monopoly. God can sovereignly choose to use a person to pray for an individual to be healed. Okay? I think he can use any one of us at a specific time in a difficult situation, and God speaks to you somehow, speaks to your inner being, and says, pray for that person. Pray for that person that they be raised up. Now, it's his choice of person, it's his choice of when and where, and it's his choice of the results. It's his choice of the results. Now, let me share with you. Now, I know people that this has actually happened to, that I trust deeply. Missionaries that have gone to India, missionaries gone to foreign lands, you see a lot of this stuff happening there that we do not see here. Why? Because most of the healing that Jesus did and that apostles did was to glorify God and to give credibility that these people were truly worshiping the true God. Okay? So that is, that is what generally happens. That's why you see most of the healing in the book of Acts and in the in the Gospels. So, a friend of mine goes to India. I've shared this with you before. Prays for healing of people and literally paralytic legs, withered legs, turn into regular legs. Witnessed by this person. Blind eyes became eyes that could see. Witnessed by this person. Now, they're all excited. Oh, man, the healings that we're experiencing here. And they would pray for somebody else and it didn't happen. And then you go, what? Why isn't this happening? And so they ask their Indian Christian guide, why isn't this happening? Remember, I've shared this in the past. The Indian guide says, look, it's up to God. It's not up to you. It's up to God. And they, and they go, oh, yeah, okay. They were getting all pumped up and excited about what was happening. So with that stated, I want you to look at also thinking about this. There's a wrong way to look at this anointing. In verse 14, we read this. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, there are people that teach that the clergy, namely priests, are to go to the dying and administer what is called last rites. This is the scripture that they use for that, to validate that. Now, the reason that's a problem is that this scripture is concerning healing, not dying. You hear that? It's, it's the opposite. Healing, not dying, and restoring to health, not passing away. Now, others have taken the view that this verse is applied only to the apostles or the first century church. Well, that can't be because they're addressing elders here. They're addressing elders. So within the church corporate, this is what we are to do. Call the elders. The elders' job is to pray and anoint with oil in the name of Jesus. Now, what does all that mean? 
Well, anointing, there are two words for anointing. One is chiro, C-H-I-R-O, and it means anointing in a religious sense. But in our teaching for today, the word is aletheo, and it's the Greek word that means a medicinal term. It could be translated massaging. And here is what seems James is using this word in a medicinal sense, anointing. Now, Zadiades gives some clarification. Now, remember, Zadiades is the Greek text, and he has this to say on this. According to the Greek construction of the sentence, now this is very important because the sequence is important. According to the Greek construction of the sentence, the verse actually states, let them pray over him, having anointed him with oil in the name of the Lord. The anointing should precede the praying. What does that mean? Well, J. Adams helps us with this. He, in his commentary, he writes this, And so it turns out that what James required by the use of oil was the use of the best medicinal means of the day. Now, are there many people that say, Oh, you're going to the doctor, you don't have faith. Well, this is saying just the opposite. It says, go to the doctor, get the best treatment you possibly can, and add prayer to it. So in this passage, he urged the treating of sickness by medical means accompanied by prayer. The two are to be used together, neither to the exclusion of the other. So instead of teaching faith healing apart from the use of medicine, the passage teaches the opposite. So what do we have today? We don't just anoint with oil. We have MRI, we have CAT scans, we have laparoscopic surgery, we have microscopic surgery, we have pharmacology that is off the charts. We have all kinds of interventions that we can use to help us now. It's really nice to be in this epoch of time. We are to get the best medical treatment we can, and then elders pray and anoint. Use them both. Use them both, okay? Now, don't miss this. It's in the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord. What does that mean? This is not a tag that we add to the end of our prayers. This is not a tag. This is how we, in the name of the Lord, we pray and anoint. And it actually means, as God wills. As God wills. We are seeking God's will in the healing. We are placing our prayer and its results into the sovereign will and purpose of God. That's what Johnny Erickson Tata learned. Forty years later, she knows this to be true. And she is not angry, she's not bitter, and she's had an amazing impact on the disabled and has encouraged multitudes of people. Notice the results. Verse 15, it's the prayer of faith will save the sick or make the sick well. The Lord will raise them up. And again, who raises them up? The Lord will raise them up. It's not the system or the steps, it's the Lord. And if the sin is an issue, if sin is an issue in the sickness, they are to confess their sins and be forgiven. Remember, personal sin can cause sickness. That's verse 16. However, please hear this. Sometimes personal sin is the issue in sickness, and sometimes it is not. Sometimes it is not. The greatest part of all of this is God's forgiveness. He forgives us. And if there is sin involved, the great Christian bar of soap is 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from how much unrighteousness? All unrighteousness. Now look, at when you do that, you don't have to live in any guilt of the past. You have been forgiven. So our sins are as scarlet, they are what? White as snow. As far as the east is from the west, he's taken our sins from us. We don't have to live in the guilt of the past. We move on from that. Move on from that. We confess our sins. So, confession is the antidote, verse 16. Confession of our trespasses to God and, what does it say in the text? To one another. To one another. That's accountability, isn't it? That's accountability. So, the accountability, you need, sometimes you need people to be accountable to to overcome any sin that is in your life. Now, thinking about accountability partners, think about this. You want people that have faith that God is going to work in the situation, not doubters. Okay, that's number one. Now, the other thing that you want 
and that we know that happens because we experience things so that we can then help other people that are going through the things that we have experienced. Okay, that's 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. And then you want someone that is going to be able to keep a confidence. Don't spill your guts to everybody. You don't have to tell your sin life to everybody. You just get involved with your accountability partner. That, that is something I think is important. And then it says, the effect and fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now, I want you to think about this. This, this effective prayer is, is, is an energy-empowered prayer by the Holy Spirit. And again, you want people to pray for you, like in the next verse with Elijah, that we'll get to in just a second. He believed God that he would answer his prayer. That's what we want involved. People that are going to believe God that's going to act in this situation. And trust him. And trust him. That's the important thing. So, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 54, even Jesus, even Jesus could not do many miracles because the people didn't believe him. How, how awful. He says, is this not the carpenter's son? Is this not his mother called Mary? 13.55, and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and his sisters are here with us today. Uh, where, where then did this man get all, the, all these things? So they were offended at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, in his own house. Now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Because of their unbelief. I want to believe God. I'm going to trust him and I'm going to believe him. I'm going to trust him until I'm out of here. And I'm going to trust him to work in your situation until you get healed or you're out of here. It's that simple. That's how I did it with my brother who was dying of a brain, brain tumor. I said, Gary, we're going to trust God until, until this thing is done. Either you're going to walk out of here or I'll see you in heaven. One or the other. And I believed God and I trusted God and we believed and we did all of this stuff and he passed away. Do I have any bitterness from that? Not an ounce. Because I know that he's good now. And I know he wouldn't want to come back here. Be part of this whole thing again. But I will go to see him one day. So, verse 17 and 18, Elijah is going to be our example of fervent prayer. For those hurting, do not underestimate the power of prayer. Holy Spirit-inspired prayer. Verse 17 and 18, Elijah was a man with a nature just like our... In other words, he did it, we can do it. It's, 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 it's the same. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And he prayed again in the heaven that gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. So he prayed for a miracle. Now, he wasn't just presuming upon God. Somehow God had to impress upon him to do this, to have these types of results. But again, he trusted God. He trusted God for the impossible. He said, I'm going to pray. It's not going to rain, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. So Elijah is our example. But I want you to notice the word, there's some word usage here that's interesting. It said that he prayed earnestly. He prayed earnestly. That earnestly in the Greek is another word for prayer. And so he prayed a prayer. He prayed a prayer. Prayed a prayer. Now, Chuck Missler says this about that statement. Many people do not pray in the prayers. They just mouth religious words and their hearts are not in them. Isn't that interesting? You're just going through the process. Just going through the process, and your heart really isn't connecting with God. Now, Elijah, in this situation, prayed seven times. You think he got discouraged the first time it didn't happen, second time it didn't happen, third time it didn't happen? When's the rain going to come? When's the rain going to come? Seven times he was persistent, seven times, until a little cloud appeared, and the, and the rain came in 1 Kings chapter 18.41. Persistence is essential persistence is essential. How long do you pray? As long as it takes. As long as it takes. You just keep praying. Never give up. Never give up. There is always, always, always hope. Always hope. Never give up. So, James closes his letter with a warning. To those who are prone to wander, 
Now remember, these people have been persecuted for their faith. They are Jews that are Christians that are being persecuted, and they are in the diaspora. They've been kicked out of, out of Jerusalem, and they are spread all over the place. They also have been oppressed by the wealthy who are taking them to court and taking whatever they can get from them. And they are also talking about illness that some of them have. When you get that type of combo coming on you, there might be a tendency to wander. There might be a tendency to wander. So this is a warning to wanderers, verse 19 to 20, and he ends it with this. Notice who he, who he addresses. This is brethren. Now, the brethren are believers. Believers. If anyone among you wanders, so can believers wander? Yes, they can. Wander from the truth, and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. So let's quickly develop this. How does one wander from the truth? Well, wander means this, go astray, seduced, be out of the way. So you can be deceived by false teachers. You can be deceived by the circumstances in your life and saying, God isn't really working. He's not really, uh, what's this whole thing about? If, if, if I'm experiencing this, where is God in this? That, that whole type of line. You can wander off course, off the straight course. You can wander from Christ and you can wander from the truth of the word and you can believe the lie of the enemy. This will never, ever get better. You are going to be in this situation forever. You are not going to get off that bed. You're going to have this illness forever. That's a lie. That's a lie. You trust God. This will never end. God has abandoned me. Uh-uh. God has never, ever, ever abandoned his children. Ever. If, if we drift, when people drift, it's usually a slow drift. It's usually a slow drift, almost imperceptible, a slight compromise here a slight compromise there, a little bend in something here or there, and a believer can get lost. And they can even progress to someone abandoning their faith, and I don't really believe that they were true believers. Let me give you an example. Bart Campolo, the son of Tony Campolo, he started to compromise on this, the sovereignty of God. He started the compromise, is God sovereign? Is he really ruling? Is he really in control? And then he compromised on the resurrection. Now, what does Scripture say? Without the resurrection, our faith is in vain. You cannot compromise on that. You cannot. And then he got to the inerrancy of Scripture. Oh, this is not inerrant. There's all kinds of problems with this. And you know what happened to that poor guy? He drifted and he drifted, and now he is an atheist espousing, with a lot of biblical knowledge, atheistic thoughts and influencing other people. Same thing happened to Charles Templeton. Charles Templeton was as popular as Billy Graham in the late 40s and early 50s. And he drifted, and he drifted, and he recanted, and he did not believe till the day he died. Now, this is what happens to people. For those who wander, you see the death in their lives, the death of joy, the death of purpose, the death of peace. They have dull eyes, their drawn face. The face of Charles Templeton was awful. He, he was lamenting uh, before he died how much he missed Jesus that he knew but never went back to him because he didn't believe he existed. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. Now, the rescue is another believer with the truth turns the sinner back on course and saves them from the death experience. And it can even get so bad that we can drift so bad and end up in 1 John 5.16 where there's a sin unto death for the believer, where God says, no more, come home. No more, come home. Now, if you're going to help a wanderer, a couple of things you want to think about. Jude helps us with this. Verse 20 through 23, very quickly, he says this. If you're going to help somebody, three things that you need to do. Number one, build yourselves up in the most holy faith. You don't go there as some weak, Christian, away from God, not in his word, not really immersed in God, not knowing what you're talking about, and try to rescue somebody else that's in sin that's just about as bad as yours. You don't do that. And it says, pray in the Holy Spirit. Pray in line with the Spirit of God for his strength. 
and then keep yourselves in the love of God. And then in verse 22, it says, then you, with discernment, you help the ones that God gives you direction to help. With discernment. And verse 23 says, even go deeper for those who have really been deceived. You get involved with them, but don't be overtaken by their sin. Because if we're going into their world, don't be overtaken by their sin. That's why the caution is to be built up. Pray in the Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God before you get involved with that. A, wan a warning to wanderers and the death of life, God is a life giver. Sin will take your life from you. Wandering from God is a death-like existence. Believers are to help them turn back to the truth and to life. Now, in conclusion, help for the hurting. What to do when you are sick? Asthenio. The best medical treatment you can get, you get. Call the elders to pray over you, and then we pray in the name of the Lord according to God's will. Secondly, do not ever, 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 and as much ever as you can get, underestimate the power of prayer. Never underestimate that. Elijah was just like us. A miracles can happen. When suffering, we pray. It's the first and best course of action. When cheerful, we sing. When we're hurting, we sing. Praise and joy to the Lord. And finally, a warning to wanderers. Those who wander from God experience the death of life. How did I ever get to this? How did it ever, how did it ever get here? The awful feeling of separation from God. And the cure is someone helps you get back on course and remember the Christian bar of soap, 1 John 1.9, confess your sins. And he is faithful that he will forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He is faithful. So finally, let me just give you a summation. A summation of how, uh, how I see this. And, and again, you have to develop your own thoughts on this. As many people as there are here, there are different views on healing and that sort of thing. There's much confusion about healing in Christendom. I think we can agree with that. We know that the, the atonement, some people believe that he, there's healing and atonement, spiritual, emotional, and physical. But we've said that we believe First Peter gives us some clarification on that. Many believe that our healing is guaranteed and it's lack of faith that results in us not being healed. Now, I've come to this conclusion. After I've seen my brother die, after I've seen my mother-in-law die of Alzheimer's, after I've seen my sister-in-law die recently, I've come to this conclusion over life. What we know is that God does not heal everyone on this side. We do know that. We've seen Epaphroditus, Timothy, Trophius, Paul himself. What we also know is this, that God has given us the wonderful privilege of boldly approaching the throne of grace in Hebrews 4.16. We can boldly approach the throne of grace that we may obtain in this misery that we're living in, mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. This is a must, a must God will help us in our time of need. You will receive grace and mercy. We do know that. What else do we know? That the atonement has provided us the opportunity to approach God and to believe him to work in our situation. And that's what I'm going to do until I'm out of here. I'm going to believe God. I believe God for healing of my brother. I believe God for the healing of my sister-in-law. I believe God until they are gone or they raise up. That is what I believe my job is. And we also know this, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 is true. Now, Paul is saying this, who has the gift of healing, definite. He says this, therefore, do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. Isn't that something? For our light and momentary afflictions. Now, remember what this guy went through. Beatings, shipwrecked, snake bit, rejected. In prison, head lopped off, our light and momentary afflictions are achieving us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And then he makes this statement that is so powerful. Fix your eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, for what is seen is temporary. Everything here is temporary, and what is unseen is eternal. 
Folks, we're all in the process of deterioration, and we will all one day die. We know that Psalm 39, verse 4 is true. Lord, make me to know my end. Pray this for yourself. Lord, make me to know my end, and what is the measure of my days? Then I may know how frail I really am. Indeed, you have made my days as handbreadths, and my ages as nothing before you. Certainly, every man in his best state is but a vapor. Deterioration, entropy, it happens to everybody. It happens to everybody. You think you're, you're big shot. Every man in his best state is but a vapor, a vapor. And we know that one day this will all be over and made right. Revelation 21, 4, God will wipe away every tear from your eyes, and there will be no more death. That means no more curse, no more curse, nor sorrow, no crying, nor pain, pain, disease, suffering, pain, for the former things have passed away. And we do know that sometimes God heals here, and sometimes he does not, and we must trust him either way. While we are here, we may not understand all the nuances of healing, but we know that God has promised us when we are sick, we pray. Anoint with oil, the best medical treatment you can get. Call the elders to pray over you in the name of the Lord, and believe that God will heal you. Have faith believing, that is our job, and God will do the, what is best for you, his best. And the rest in his loving hands, realizing no matter what, he is with you through it all. He is with you through it all. Knowing this, you can endure and you can finish well. And like Paul say these words in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Never forget with God, all things are possible. All things are possible. Your miracle might be just around the next corner. Do not lose heart. Simply trust God who loves you more than you can imagine. There is help for the hurting. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. Holy Spirit, please take this word and put it into each one of our hearts. Touch us individually in our area of need. Lord, we believe you. We trust you no matter what happens on this side. You are with us and will never, ever, ever leave us or forsake us. And we take comfort with that. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.